and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Well, uh, it's a little stuffy in here. Oh, we were talking about I, off mic. Okay, yeah. Or is it, it's on, the, it wasn't recording. We're sitting in front of the microphones yeah, talking. Yeah. That counts as off mic if they're not recording, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Okay. Though, I mean, we were very much in the same positions, the same recording stances as though we were actually recording. Do you get yeah. into the ready stance? Yeah. Okay. I ha- I've got, uh, how I'm sitting right now is actually more casual than I, than I usually am. I usually try to get in there and just, uh, I wish we had, I wish this was a video. I wish we were periscoping right now, David. Why aren't we? Everyone's doing it. I know they are. I don't care for it. Don't you, um, this is the thing. Okay. Okay. Periscope. It's, everyone says Periscope now, but it was like Meerkat was first. Meerkat. Right? Okay. Yeah. Right. And I haven't heard of that. But it was first, and then Periscope came on, and there's a, um, there's a word for that, or, or a term, like a business term for that, that I that is going to drive me crazy that I can't. Like think when of it. Some, when a new company like scoops an old company. No, just or when there are two options, and everyone just eventually like VHS or Beta. Oh yeah, or you know HD DVD and Blu-ray. Uh yeah yeah Volcano uh, and uh, Dante's Peak. <laughs> Right? Uh, Panda Express and Yoshinoya Beef Bowl. That's the one. Um, that is a joke from Knocked Up. Oh, okay. Um, oh, that's going to... Uh, th- you can't think of the term? Yeah, but anyway, I feel like there's a part of me that, like, I don't know if it's the part of me that roots for the underdog. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be... No, let's not periscope this. Let's meerkat it. Because they... I heard of them first. I'm yeah. on their side. It's like how I've never taken an Uber. I've taken a lift. I've taken plenty of lifts. Mm, lift. I heard of first and Uber came and just like bigfooted the whole operation. And now everyone's like, Oh, Uber this and Uber this, you know, meanwhile, they're the ones who have had more, you know, complaints about drivers being creepy. Uh, and, 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 uh, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm on Lyft's side, but it's, um, but I think when it comes to something like this, like Periscope versus Meerkat, I think there's there's something like, you know what, I'm going to use Periscope, Periscope and have fewer people see me because that's the fact is that's what people use. You <laughs> that's know, that's true. That's true. Whereas I, I actually had heard of Lyft first and, and I don't actually use it because I actually like the Uber app more. I find it easier to use. Um, OK, well, uh, you just did a little dance there. You were very happy. Path dependence. Path That's, dependence. That is the term for, for for that for that sort of thing. When 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 it's never official, but everyone just sort of the 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 what's the word the uh, the populace, the consumers, yeah, uh, just choose one over the other. It's called path dependence. Well, and in the case of Uber and Lyft, like I think Lyft is a good name. It's got it's got a Y in there, but um, but I think the word Uber is fun to say, and I right, think it's, it's a little Nazi-ish. Exactly. So you know what that <laughs> means? Efficiency. You know they uh, they were good at what they did. Maybe you know what else? I this is a thing that annoys me. I think Uber I think pays its drivers more, but I believe so. Part of that is on the Uber app, from what I understand, I've never used it. From what I understand, the Uber app doesn't give you the um, option to tip. I guess people can tip cash if they want, but there's no option to tip when you take it. Correct, Uber. yes. Whereas with Lyft, when you do it, there's a, it comes up, which, you know, like uh, two, four, six, eight, or, you know, I think right. you could put in uh, your own amount. You tip on the app. Yeah, two, four, six, eight. I'll show you that I appreciate you. Yeah. Something like that. 
So uh, I guess I like that. Maybe I like that's uh, very American of you, David, because uh, in other cultures, like I believe German culture, like Uh Uber, uh, tipping is uh, viewed as insulting. Right. But where are we right now? Hmm? Which which country? Well, you had to pick it like if you had to more than 50, 51 percent. Sure. Are we in America or are we in Germany right now? Hmm. Well, you know, there are times when I feel like maybe we're in the USSR. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much, uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> I wanted to pick somebody, but she's not in power anymore. Thanks, Obama is the meme you're looking for. Yes, I know, but I hate it. I, it's, it's so overused. Uh, yeah. It's, it bothers the hell out of me. Yeah, but I, to the point that I once actually, like on Instagram, saw someone use it, like, not ironically. Yeah. And it was like, it made me laugh anyway, because yeah. I'm so used to... Well, I have a couple of those that are, like, real. Like, <laughs> oh, I due to a clerical error, I've lost my health care, and I would just normally uh, rebuy it, except it's not during a period when I can, so I'm going to have to wait four months to get uh, insurance. Thanks. Thanks, Obama. Yeah. That's, that's that was a, that was a tough one. Uh, that was actually quite frightening. And then I found out that there's this company in Indiana of all places that will sell you insurance for like up to eleven Unless months. You're gay. Is that true? <laughs> no, Indiana's where that pizza. Oh, oh, all right. Yeah, well, this is before that. Before <laughs> that. Um, but uh, yeah, b- back before that, they gave you a discount. <laughs> um, but no, it's. Um, and so they do it for 11 months. The whole idea is like it's meant to be temporary insurance while you're in between things and uh, pretty much. Yeah. And so it, uh, so that worked out very well for me, but at the same time, like, but now I can't, now I can't say thanks Obama, which I probably wouldn't have anyway, but <laughs> now I can't say it cause right, all these people have ruined a, it for you're me. You're a parody. Maybe I can that. take it back. Yeah. But anyway, um, um, enough of that. And I'm sure plenty of people, you know, you can say that with any politician, so it's fine. And I like to I like the idea of throwing, it's like, yeah, not enough people know about Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. People need to know. But what could you say? Like, what would you say? Thanks Bush about, uh, I, you know what? I could see probably, um, like, um, Oh, how about like, my, airpo- like airport, airport security. Okay. Or how about, my kids getting a shitty education because their teacher is teaching to the lowest common denominator to uh, abide by no child left behind. Thanks, Bush. Is right? that still is that still in effect? No, but I'm saying oh, at okay. the time. Sure, absolutely. When he was absolutely. in office is what I'm saying. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks, Bush. And I can't afford to send him to private school because I'm already paying the taxes to get uh, him into public school, and I can't pay twice. Thanks. Democrats. So moving on. Uh, but you should. <laughs> I know we can keep going back and forth. It's ridiculous. We're getting fucked by everybody. Can't that be enough? Right. Yes. We should definitely call it even here. <laughs> um, um, they all suck. I took. Oh my god. I took. Have you heard of a, a website called I Side With? Yes. Did you take the the quiz there? It's I, a great quiz. It's really in depth. It it's is, surprisingly it, it in depth. It takes about 15 minutes because there's a lot of yeah. questions and it gives you policy positions where it's like you can choose yes or no, or you can choose more nuanced answers. And even after that, you yeah. choose the degree to which it's important to you. Yeah. Like I think yes or no, gives you like five answers. And then within those even more specific answers, like yes, but right. 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 You and, know. But then you do like one to five. How important is this yeah. issue to you? So it gets really specific. I think of myself because I think I hang out with a lot of people who are, very far to the left Mm -hmm. and i'm just i think of myself as being kind of leftist right i think of myself as 
uh, a centrist in a lot of ways, a mm-hmm. moderate. Ninety-six uh, percent with uh, I stand with Bernie. Apparently, oh boy, ninety-six <laughs> percent. Um, and then and and then uh, and then Hillary Clinton, and then the other Democrat, um, Martin O'Malley. Martin O'Malley. Then Rand Paul. What percentage was he? Uh, under le- less than fifty. Oh, okay. Still, uh, of the of the of the right. I apparently side more with Rand Paul than anyone. Else. I got good news for you. And I side. Apparently, oh, so do I. I. I side with Donald Trump over Scott Walker, Ted Cruz, and one other one. Chris Christie. It might be Jeb Bush. Uh, no, it wasn't Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush was above. Okay. I think Jeb Bush was between Rand Paul and uh, and Donald Trump. But uh, I don't know. I knew I wasn't a Scott Walker fan. I never have been. My. But, uh, I don't think I knew enough about Ted Cruz, and I refuse to. I refuse to learn about him. That sounds about... Until he's a viable candidate. Uh, you know what? I'm kind of in that camp right now. There are so many... Like, there are the top-tier candidates, and there's like 10 of those. Then there are second-tier candidates, there's, there's seven. and there are seven. Yeah. And just like, look, I love political theater, and I'm and I'm very invested in who the Republican candidate is. I can't... I can't yet. I can't get involved yet. I need time to just wean some of these people away. And frankly, I just, I want Trump to get tired of his little game and, uh, drop out and, right. you know, and ever, and like, I know he's very popular right now, but I feel like, I feel like the Republicans are doing everything they can. They're fighting the good fight to get him out Yeah, because I feel like he just distracts everybody. And I know people say they like him, but I think they're just being silly. I think they like him. I think they like what he says, and I think they like his tone. But if you were to ask, I feel like, I genuinely feel like if you were to ask any of them, could he be a genuine leader? I don't think they would go I with think, that. I think that there I are. I hope not. Boy, I, I hope not. I think there's a, uh, I don't know. I, I think there's a, maybe a quarter of the populace that doesn't think but, the way that we do. I guess that's And there's a lot true. of people who don't think the way that we do about, you know, movies and stuff. Listeners, if you're big Trump fans, and I, I assume I assume there's not even a single one, right? Well, let's find out. Yeah. Listeners, email uh, David at battleshippretension.com and let him know that you website. stand a, with Donald you, Trump. I would rather you leave a comment on this episode on the website. Yeah. Um, now, <clears throat> let's. Uh, you had. Yeah, I was going to say you had something you wanted to say. Yes. It is okay. So I saw Fantastic Four right after recording last week. Can I say something real quick before you get into that? Because there was a thought that I had last week when we were talking with Scott. Okay. That I forgot to say. That was sort of an addendum to. Because he was talking about people. We're all like, what was it? His point was basically, we know what studios are, and yet why are people trash? And this is before the movie had come out, right? Why are people quick to say like Josh Trank is the problem? And I meant to say at the time, and I wish I had, that I felt the same way about people saying Ricky and the Flash looks stupid. Okay. It's like, you know that trailers are manipulative lies. Mm-hmm. The, the words directed by Jonathan Demme should be more, more persuasive to you than any trailer. And I don't like that's how I feel. And that seems so natural to me. But I know a lot of people that I know who but you're also a Demi fan like you specifically. I, j- I feel like he is not enough of a name even for like hardcore film people. Um, hmm. But yeah. he's, he's made like nothing but great movies and a few uh, Neil Young documentaries. But other than that, it's Didn't been, like, do the truth stuff. about Charlie, which I thought was not that. Good. Oh, yeah, it's not that good. It's interesting. 
And I, but I mean, part of the thing about Dude by Charlie is that I've never actually been a big fan of Charade either, so I don't okay. feel like it's. Eh, they could both go jump in a lake, I guess. Those movies. Just go throw those prints in a lake. Um, I remember when uh, The Truth About Charlie came out on DVD. It was a, a, a flipper, they called those back then. Yeah. And the second side was charade. Oh, all right. Because it's in the public domain, apparently. Oh, that's odd. I don't the, think I knew that. Yeah, that's why you, at the Walgreens there would be like cheap DVDs That charade. explains it, yeah. <laughs> because I, I think somehow the rights slipped um for a while and anyone could put it out so they it'd be fun to have like a public domain film festival you could get you know night of the living dead and yeah nosferatu and but you have to watch the walgreen versions that's yeah that's how it has to be i think a lot of those um like uh world war ii propaganda documentaries like why we fight and stuff mm-hmm. i think those are public domain i could now. see that that makes sense yeah um but no, what I was going to say is that like, and this gets into maybe some auteur stuff that I probably shouldn't be getting into at the moment, but, um, I don't, I don't think people think of Jonathan Demi that way. Like even big film fans, they might like individual films that he's made, but I don't think they think of him the way they do, you know, the Coen brothers or Wes Anderson or, or well, that, Christopher Nolan or uh, something like that. Another great uh, topic for the comments, because I would love to know to me, Jonathan Demi, uh, has almost never misstepped. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think like what of his I've seen. I mean, Silence of the Lambs, obviously. He did Philadelphia. So, um, yeah, right? Did he? Yes, yeah. he did. Uh, I, that one I haven't seen in a long time. But um, Something Wild. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, did you see that one? I did not. Did you see Beloved? Nope. That's one that uh, has, I think, earned some of its reputation back. It was not, I don't think, well, that well received at the time. Okay. Um, cause it's crazy long and weird. It's like two hours and 40 minutes long. Right. It's a weird movie. Um, Rachel getting married. Another yeah, one. That's that great. Is fantastic. And then, uh, weird little gems like the Manchurian candidate remake, which are pretty, which is pretty good. Cool. And he's made some, uh, some very good, uh, documentaries. He, well, he, he did the, what I think is a lot of people say the last waltz, but I think the greatest concert film of all time is stop making sense. The Talking Heads uh, okay. concert film, and that's Jonathan Demme. He also made a documentary called uh, The Agronomist. It's oh, a, that's right. It's yeah. really good stuff. Uh, he's made a lot of cool stuff, and he keeps, like, I feel like he's a director who, even when he works with a studio, like with Ricky and the Flash, or yeah. even Rachel Getting Married was, I think, kind of a studio, I don't know, was it was a studio indie, like one of those half, Probably, half studio yes. movies. He still, uh, he still does his thing. He's sort of, I think his movies are generally successful enough that he kind of gets to do what he wants. And I guess in a way, if there's any way that he's like the Coen brothers, it would be like that. that sure. That any like studio, like the Coen brothers movies never like, I remember talking when I worked, uh, on year of the dog, which was pr- uh, produced by Paramount Vantage, which mm-hmm. doesn't, I don't think exists anymore, but they were working on no country for old men at that time yeah. at the same time. Cause it, they both came out the next year. And I remember talking to an executive. We get to go, we were like some fancy lunch. We got to go out to, and his thing was like, uh, yeah, we let the Coen brothers do whatever they want because their movies never cost that much and always make their money back. Hmm. So it's not like it's not a, there's never a big risk to make a Coen brothers movie. And I kind of feel like Jonathan Demme is probably the studios probably look at him the same way. It's like, yeah, I'm sure they he has a good track record. I'm sure they don't cost very much. I'm interested to yeah. know if they make their money back. I'm sure Rich could have married, made his money back. He I guess Oscar so, yeah. nominated and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess there and, is and, that. And, and, and again, didn't cost very much. I'm sure like beloved was probably the only, the one that made might have lost some money. Cause it's a, again, two hour and 40 minute period piece. Yeah. That's like, that's weird and has ghosts and stuff in it. Oh, 
It's a very bizarre movie. And I'm glad that I saw it because I love it and also because it got me to read the book, beloved the novel, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. One of the best novels I've ever read, maybe. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm a huge Jonathan Demme fan, and maybe I am expecting... Maybe it's wrong of me to just assume that other film fans hold Jonathan Demme in the same esteem that I do. Yeah, it, he's somebody whose career, I myself, I have not followed his career. Like, when you point out the films that he's made, I just think, oh, that was good. That was good. That was great. Like, I just go back and uh, I just go well, through like that. And yet he's not somebody whose name will automatically attract me to a film, although seeing his name will, for me, it will cause me to feel like, okay, well, that's probably pretty good. At the very least, uh, capable. Now, we know who we're profiling next week, right? Yes. Maybe 10 weeks after that. It's fine with me. Do, some, do Jonathan Demi Give you a chance to watch... Uh, Beloved. Something and, Wild and Beloved. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure there's a couple that I need to see, too. Sounds good to me. All right. We already got... Uh, Walter Merch... <laughs> Walter, Walter Merch is like... Matt Damon on the Jimmy Kimmel show. <laughs> it's like, you know, that joke that yeah, Jimmy yeah. Kimmel does. Yeah. Uh, that's what it is for us. Walter Murch, we're sorry. We don't have time. We'll yeah. push you to the next time. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to you. And we didn't even get to our top of the show discussion. Uh, no, let's get to it. Oh, okay. Um, what the, this topic uh, isn't going to. Fair enough. Okay. Um, you say that. I feel like but this topic actually. you don't have any actually, notes. I don't have any notes. But you know what? I could see myself thinking of things as we well, go. Maybe before we get to the next, the, the, your next, the thing you wanted to say about Fantastic Four, maybe this would be a good time to talk about uh, Mubi. Yeah, sure. Uh, so this episode is sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only four ninety nine a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Right now, you can watch Down Terrace, uh, Ben Wheatley's feature film, uh, feature debut, pardon me. Uh, Wheatley, the director of Kill List, Sightseers, and A Field in England, has become one of the hippest British directors around, and you can see where he started with Down Terrace. Now, the only film of those that I have seen is Kill List, which I thought was marvelous. Uh, do, have you seen any of his films? I've only seen the um, short that he did in the, um, the first ABCs of Death. Okay, was it good? Uh, it's all right. It's, a, it's an interesting idea in that it's a person who has been... It, it starts underground. It's all point of view. Mm-hmm. And it's like a person who has been turned into a vampire but buried. Okay. So he, like, all point of view, you never see the person, wakes up in his grave. And, you know, the ABCs of Death shorts are... None of them is very long. Yeah. So he doesn't live that long after he comes back to life as a vampire. Fair enough. But uh, it's all point of view. So it's an interesting... Conceptually, it doesn't... It wouldn't bear more than the two and a half to three minutes that it sure. exists for. So, uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Kill List was... Uh, a very, very effective, very moody film that I just, I can't speak highly enough about. Um, I don't remember if it's on Netflix, but if listeners, uh, if they, if you haven't seen it, seek it out. And, and I've heard wonderful things about sightseers and a field in England. I feel bad that, that I haven't seen those as well. Um, cause I know that, you know, amongst our listeners and amongst the, the people that we, Respect. Uh, ben Wheatley is quickly becoming a very, very noted and respected director. And so I you believe can, our uh, contributor, Matt Warren, is a huge fan. Yes, and he, he is. He reviewed Sightseers for yes. the website. Um, and so, yeah, you can see Down Terrace uh, at Mubi.com. There is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. 
All right. All right. What did you What did you want to say about? Uh, it's, it's more of an Fantastic Four. It's more of a general observation uh, based partially on a conversation you and I had uh, completely off mic. Um, we, so we weren't even in the ready stance. Not even. No, not at all. I was sitting back in my desk chair, uh, eating a donut. <laughs> Like a just a corrupt cop or something like that. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it's uh, so I saw it last week, knowing that it wasn't going to be very good. Um, but I was curious, and indeed, it is not very good. And then you know you see article after article about it's like nine percent Rotten Tomatoes rating mm-hmm. or whatever, and there have been more articles written about Fantastic Four as a function of it being a failure than about some movies being successful. Um, and people are fascinated by that, including yourself. Yeah. I haven't but, seen the movie yet, but I, yeah. I can't stop listening to podcasts about it and yeah. reading people's reviews and thoughts. And that's amazing to me. Like this is something that happens from time to time. A movie just, just gets this, a very specific stink of failure on it. And people just cannot, either leave it alone as far as comments, but also they're just fascinated by it. Now, certainly the film has not, uh, people's fascination has not translated to ticket sales, but, um, but yeah, uh, it's, I'm trying to think of the last time a movie has been so widely acknowledged as terrible that people talk about it that way. They talk about it as just such a misfire. And I'm sure there have been some since, like Geely. Battlefield Earth or Gili. Yeah. I'm sure there have been some in the last, you know, within the last, what was Gili, 2003? Yeah, so in the last 12 years, I have no doubt that there have been some. But, but again, there have been plenty of bad movies, plenty of terrible movies, but there's a very specific type of, and this certainly, Fantastic Four is certainly not the type of bad movie that is fun to watch, so that's also a problem. But, um, but do, I mean, do you know what I mean when I talk I, about this? Like, yeah, there's a I, cultural thing. I know exactly. That I mean, it's Schadenfreude because if you look at Battlefield Earth, had the you know backstory of Scientology and the tra- right. people trying to make it for years, and it's incredibly expensive. Yeah, Geely had the it being the sort of culmination of the Benefer right. uh, tabloid takeover, uh, and this I think is kind of like superheroes have reached such a saturation point that there's kind of this idea that they're especially in the last couple of years that they're at least financially they're full fail proof right right, right. i Absolutely. mean uh, there have been plenty that haven't done well uh critically but i think even like green lantern made its money back probably I probably think. yeah uh and so i think this is the first one where people are maybe enjoying it's like the not that you enjoyed the fact that the Titanic sank, but the idea that it's that it, it was hubris that led to the Titanic. Sure, thing, right. Sure. That's very much the way James James Cameron painted it, uh, you know, in his movie. Um, and so I kind of feel like it does kind of have that that bit of uh, giddiness about the way that uh, I think people are glad to see Fox fall on their face so hard here and you know i think there might also be this weird fascination with like okay you mentioned green lantern every you know people that saw it said this is terrible i can't wait for them to reboot it 
You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like there was just, and there, there was the assumptions like, well, certainly this is not the version that's going to take off. But if we wait a few years, maybe they'll get, do this character right. Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there was the Roger Corman film that was obviously never meant to be seen in the early 90s. So there was that version of the Fantastic Four, but of course it still leaked and people still saw it. Yeah. Then there were the films with Jessica Alba. Um, Directed by Tim Story, both of them. Yeah, and that made a fair amount of money, but were seen as awful. And people saying like, oh, these movies are, are terrible. We can't wait to... Uh, See, that's when people said like, oh, reboots. Okay, this they'll reboot Fantastic Four and it'll be good. And then there's this. I think there's also this realization like maybe these characters are untouchable. Like <laughs> maybe you just cannot adapt them into a movie that works. Now, I don't actually think that's true. I don't think that's true either. I think this, I mean, again, I haven't seen the movie, so I'm not, I can't say, I, I yeah. can just say that the, the, the narrative, to use the term we use, mm-hmm. uh, have used on the show before, is that um, Josh Trank wouldn't play ball and sure. the studio essentially screwed up the movie because he wasn't making the movie they wanted him to make. Yeah, so... Uh, um, so an hour in, they decide to make the movie they wanted to make and it winds up being satisfying to nobody. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I gotta see it. Um, you, I guess you do have to see it. But I don't want to pay to see it. I don't want to be... Wait till it goes to the... Uh, what, the Regency? Wait. Oh, the, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the, the three Valley Plaza. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe I'll do that. Cause I don't like, like I always rail against that, that studios get to make these superhero movies because they know that even if they're bad, geeks will go see them. Like the, but geek, that's not true the in this dollar case. is like a guarantee. Uh, but maybe it is. Maybe this is just the, this is what the geek dollar is worth. Maybe only mm. geeks went to see this movie. I guess, so. um, to mock it. But, um, I heard some. I heard someone, maybe more than one person, suggested if these rights do go back to Marvel, um, they could make a Fantastic Four movie that's set in the 1960s, like Fantastic Four sort of hmm. was meant to be. That is only tangentially related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we know. They don't have to tie it all in where they're part of Civil War or whatever. Do a full like X Men first first class style like. 60s uh fantastic four movie they could do that but then that means that they can't really incorporate the characters into the larger universe and why would they want to do that right but i mean that which is exactly why it would be cool if they did sure oh absolutely um and you could have you you know you could um cgi get uh get michael douglas all cgi'd up again and have him play young hank pym yeah that'd be fun right (laughs) right yeah it's which by the way uh i don't know if we've ever mentioned this like making michael douglas look notably younger in ant-man is some of the best version of that like i've seen the digital de-aging of people and that's the best i've seen of it i wonder if i'd like to ask a young person who doesn't know like just show them that scene and they don't know who michael douglas is can they tell yeah you know because obviously you and i we're looking for the the strings or looking for the edges getting sure. a little weird. And it's in there. It's not, it's, it's in there. Not it's not perfect, flawless. but it's, yeah, but it does look pretty good. It's, it looks good be- precisely because I think maybe they allowed the occasional flaw. Uh. Um, and it doesn't look like the plastic professor X of, uh, X-Men last stand, but yeah. And so, uh, so as a pop culture phenomenon, I guess last year there was after last year, or the year before, maybe it was two years ago. There was after earth, 
the Will Smith yeah. film, which I think people took a certain degree of, of glee, uh, partially because like, oh, he produced it and it also stars his son. What an interesting coincidence. Um, yeah. I think there Plus was that element to it. it. And he, yeah, to pile on yeah, it speaking of, yeah, but, uh, but I feel like that has maybe gone away and maybe because this is a superhero movie and people can always point to it now as the cautionary tale of superhero films, right. uh, both financially and critically that, uh, that I think people are really fascinated with and also it comes in august and so while there are still big movies to be released in august had this come at the beginning of june the story would have been over the following week when hey it's time for a a big movie you know but now there's nothing to knock it out of the headlines really yeah what's coming down the pike anything i mean i'm excited for american ultra Oh, are you? I don't know anything about it. Really. It looks fun, you know, um, but I can't think of other uh, August releases. I know there are some coming, but I can't think of what they are. Sinister 2? Absolutely. Okay. Is that an August release? Uh, Hitman Agent 47? Uh, yeah, that's there. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I saw a panel for it last year, and uh, boy, oh, boy. Um well, yeah, okay. We uh, we talked about that. Yeah. So, it's, uh, yeah, all that is to say, it just... Um, it's fun to watch and maybe, maybe fun for a shitty reason, but it's fun to, to point out these things when a movie becomes more than just a movie, whether it's good or bad. And it starts to culturally like it'd be interesting. I feel like everybody knows. I mean, our test is usually does do our moms know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And maybe they don't, but for people of a certain age, um, everybody knows the fantastic four is terrible. Yeah. And that's rare for people to, whether it be again, if whether a movie be good or bad, it's rare for everyone to know and acknowledge it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you should see it. I mean, I'm intrigued. I don't think you need to worry about supporting it at the box office. Um, on principle. Uh, yeah. So no, I, I, I do get it though. But, uh, but yeah, so we can, we can uh, move on. And I should say for those that, uh, before we, get into the episode proper or our tweaked ad. Um, nope. Still haven't, uh, still haven't checked on the pronunciation of that. I hope they're okay with it. Um, I imagine they would have told us by now. I imagine so. They can't listen to this, right? Oh, maybe they, maybe they do. I don't know. Um, Lord knows they got plenty of ways to. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. So our, our top 50, movie scores of all time list is going very well. Uh, a lot of people, uh, sending in their submissions. Uh, the list is shaping up. Uh, the top 10 is, it's fairly confirmed, but the order with, uh, okay. within that, um, there's a number one and two, and I don't think those are going anywhere, but keep, don't, don't let that throw you yes, because, because then, yeah, this is like you mentioning that it could have thrown things off. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly you say that and now things don't continue apace and whatever right. is in uh, the top 10 falls out. Keep doing what you think should be on there. Don't try to outsmart us. Right, absolutely. Uh, it's it, it, And that makes for a list that uh, makes us look kind of weird. <laughs> um, yeah. And when Edgar Wright shows up as the number 16 greatest director of all time. Yeah, well, you um, know. <laughs> anyway. He's great and all, but I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> Please keep submitting stuff uh, sincerely. You know, just submit 10. You send them to me, Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. Send them to me by the end of August. Right. Uh, I'll be compiling them, and then uh, we will be revealing the list throughout September, culminating in an episode where we finally uh, discuss that top 10. So uh, I'm very excited. The reason that I mention is because, like, 
one of the reasons that I like doing these is because it is fun. You know, you get you get ten submissions early on, and you think, and it's pretty random. But then you just see you see order come from seemingly chaos. Like think of how many movie scores there are in the world. Yeah. And while I guess that you can sort of control for our listeners, but at the same time, it's just interesting again, to talk about when you're making a list of something and it's, and it's listeners uh, submitted, um, you get that cultural thing. Like the, the movies that people acknowledge have great music everyone will acknowledge it of every age. And so I like watching it start to take shape. Have you, um, a couple of questions about this list. Okay. Without giving anything away. Cause I'm, I still haven't submitted mine cause I, I've got seven locks right now. I'm being very careful about this. I appreciate that. Um, and one of mine is very recent. Have you, have you been getting a lot of recent stuff? I've gotten, I'm talking not to give anything away. I've gotten I'm two talking th- about a 2014 film. Uh, uh, yes, we've gotten several submissions of a 2014 film, the same one. Uh, and then we've gotten no, well, we've gotten uh, a couple. Of, we've gotten three submissions of a 2015 film. Oh, which uh, and given what that film is, I I get it. I see it. Um. I don't know if I would ever submit it in my top 10, but at the same time, these are top 10 that you think absolutely should be included. So that could be a thing that like you genuinely think it's a great film. You're not trying to trick us. You're not trying to game the system. You genuinely think people aren't talking about it enough, you know? Right. I have another question. Okay. Again, I don't want to give examples. I don't want to sway anything, but we have talked about musicals written for the movie. Yeah. Yes. What if it's a movie about a fictional band and all the songs were written for the movie. I, I'll count that. You'll count that. Yeah. All right. That might that might add add one to my to my list there. Now that's so specific. I find myself wondering what could you be talking about. Uh, there are actually two that come to mind. Two that come to mind. Okay, interesting. Yeah. All right, I'll yeah. have to I'll have to think about it. But uh, but Wait, yeah. What do you think? Oh, I guess I won't. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. Like, I don't want to bring up anything that I have submitted. Although I might have done that already last week, but um. But yeah, uh, hang on now. Uh, oh, uh, the first one, yes. Second one, no. Okay. Um, they both they would both count, but I didn't think of the second one. But you're the only one that ever thinks of that second That's one. That's not true. Um, <laughs> that movie has uh, very vocal supporters. Yeah. All right, and I, and I will say because cryptic. no, because I like being cryptic. I will say <laughs> I was expecting and hoping a lot more submissions of that first one, but it's not happening. Really? Yeah. Well, maybe people just aren't down. thinking of that. Maybe. And, and I would, I'd love to put it in people's minds, but at the same time, like, and you know what, here's a fun thing to do. Maybe in the comments of this episode or on our Facebook page, maybe you can uh, campaign, you know, uh, <laughs> throw it out there and say, Hey, I'm submitting this and you should too for, you know, for your consideration. So it's, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun and I think the final list will look, will look pretty good. I've been very, I've been actually very proud of our listeners as far as the lists that have come together, especially the last few years. Um, and uh, and I think this list will be uh, uh, very instructive. I think what I usually go for is, um, like with top 50 comedies and top 50 horrors, like if somebody watched these 50 horror movies, would they get a pretty good sense of all the different types of horror and genuinely the best horror? And I'd say yes, for the most part, for that list. Same with the comedies. And I think as far as movie music, this top 50 is going to be uh, pretty eclectic. And I think 
between the 50 movies, you get a pretty good idea of what movie music has been throughout film history. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about tweaked audio. It's where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. We love them. We use them all the time. I have two different pair uh, now because they gave us the new ones. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I'm going to tell you about now. Have you had? It's been a week now. Yeah, they're great. You've been using them. They're yeah, fantastic. They're right? wonderful. Uh, these are their uh, sport-centric ones. Mm-hmm. They will not come out of your ear. I mean, you uh, you can pull them out. Right. They're not yes. Fall out. <laughs> no, it's, 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 real, it's not a permanent thing. It's, re- it's real, really Cronenbergian. Yeah. <laughs> it just it just fuses to your ear. Um, yeah. Uh, they're they sound great. They're very durable, and uh, they stay in your ear no matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are the the name of that line is he gone. We think. Is the pronunciation H E G O N E? That's the that's just their newest line. They've got all kinds of earbuds. Um, definitely check out the new sport. If you've bought tweaked audio earbuds using our offer code before, now's a chance to get a second pair. Sorry, second pair for when you're at the gym mm-hmm. or what you're running, running along the beach, training for a big fight. Right, <laughs> right. Punch inside the beef. Oh man, absolutely. Um, Go to, uh, yeah, you can find that at tweetaudio.com. And you want to uh, at checkout if you use the offer code pretension, it's one third off and no shipping charges. It's tweakedaudio.com offer code pretension. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. All right. Now, uh, getting into the subject uh, later than I would like. We'll see how it goes. It's, I, well, you didn't make any notes, so I don't think we're going to be here that long. That's true. So, um, something just. Sometimes things bubble up multiple times in a short period of time, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know it gets me to thinking. So uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, in, in the Movie Journal episode, we talked about Magnolia. Mm-hmm. Last week's movie? No, it was two weeks ago. A couple right? weeks, yeah, yeah. Um, and I mentioned that it sort of stuck out to me how so many of the main characters are white, right? Um, and I think I'd said the same thing about shortcuts on an early movie journal. Yeah. At the same time, we had also had um, Kristen on talking about film noir, which is great. Thanks mm-hmm. to Kristen. Thanks to Scott uh, for being here last week. Um, and she talked about like some of the older films, uh, you know, uh, being a little bit, I guess, icky when it comes to uh, women's issues. And I think sure. I had said the same thing when she was talking about uh, early er- earlier films. And it just got me thinking about these movies that, are good or well liked, but have elements in them yeah. that uh, don't that don't age well. Because yeah. I, you know, and there's another one actually that I didn't talk about. I don't think I talked about this when we did it on the when I mentioned on the movie journal. But I rewatched Duck Soup recently. Yeah, and it has the joke, the yeah. reference, the word, uh, the the. Uh, well, I apologize. This is, a, this is like old timey offensive. Yeah, uh, but he says, and that's uh, and that's why darkies were born. Yeah, which by which, the way, which I looked up um, that line, and it turned out that joke was true. Is that what you were going <laughs> to no. say? He's actually like referencing a popular song. Mm. That there was a song that was like yeah. on the radio, it was like Casey Case some top forty song <laughs> yeah. called called That's Why Darkies Were Born. Yeah. Which, don't get me wrong, doesn't let the culture off the hook. No. <laughs> uh, in fact might yeah. might indict it more, knowing that people were listening to this and tapping their toes. Yeah, and so when he makes a little reference to the song, yeah. it's it's like if he said, Call me maybe, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of like a laugh of recognition. Yeah. Um, oh boy. But yeah, that, that doesn't, doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't age well. 
Uh, and I thought of a bunch of, I don't know if you want me to, if you might have something to say before I start throwing out more examples. So I've got a ton just, and they're not, I, it's not just about race. We've got uh, a lot of, a lot of stuff about ladies and gays in here too. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Um, although oddly enough, gay ladies, they've always gotten it a hundred percent right <laughs> <laughs> throughout the ages. Oh, oh, well, okay. Yeah, okay. I have a special one here. Oh, all right. That I can't wait to talk about. Uh, yeah. Well, what I was going to say is that, um, this is something that you'll find whether it be like uh, something offensive is something like what is now considerably considered socially offensive or just a different expectation, whether it be of a group like women or, uh, you know, gays or whatever, um, or just a completely different way of thinking. I watched, gosh, I guess it was the, I think it was the apartment. I watched it with, um, with Jen and some friends at a, at a, at one of the uh, park screenings in, um, Chicago. Oh, Grant Park. And there comes a moment. Don't they, uh, project 35? I, I I don't remember. I don't remember. Um, so odd, but they, boy, they boost that audio (laughs) to such a degree that it's, it's clear like, Oh, you want to talk during your, our little screening? Yeah. We're going to hurt you with, with sound for the apartment, which is hardly transformers. Um, but, uh, in that, I believe there is a suicide attempt, correct? Um, yes. And I don't want to say whose uh, attempt it is, but, um, they call in a doctor who, just start slapping this person um, to like wake them up and all that. And, and the crowd, including the people that I was with, like they laughed a little bit, but it was a really uncomfortable laughter. And then afterwards they just like, well, I mean, no doctor would do that. Like, it's just, it's, and I don't know what things were like in the 1960s, but you know, my first, my first thought was like, well, yeah, but if somebody's going to kill themselves and you can't let them fall asleep, then obviously you're going to need to do some pretty rough things to wake them up and you're going to have to try and make them throw up and all that sort of thing. Um, and I feel like, uh, but that crowd and, and the people that I was with, they just could not get over that this person was being slapped quote unquote for their own good. Um, actually I'll take the quotes off of that. It was for this person's own good and they were being slapped violently by a doctor and it, it took them out of the film. Sure. Yeah. Which, yeah. which struck me as, as, as interesting. Um, and then w- speaking of slapping, you know, there's a very important scene in Chinatown in which Jack Nicholson is slapping Faye Dunaway. Why is it because he's fearing for his life? Not at all, but because he wants information from her and for some reason, actually that scene is less, well, none of those scenes are disturbing to me because I'm able to consider them in context. Um, I I mean, he's, he's a bit of an anti-hero. I, yeah, he is like, yeah, but but, totally like, it's not like, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of it. like Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Henry Fonda just slapping people around. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so I feel like there, there are other, and I wish again, I, I, I meant to make notes, but then, uh, I wound up, um, falling asleep for two hours. Oops. <laughs> sorry, everybody. Um, and, uh, and instead I'll just, I'm hab- I'm happy to comment on your notes, David, and I'm sure you're happy to have me do that. But well, th- that's something that, so I guess I want to ask you with the list that you have right now, are these things that take you out of the movie or, or are you able to consider them in context? And if so, 
do you feel like, oh, maybe I'm cutting them too much slack? You know what I mean? Like that's, when like when a grandparent says a word that you're like, whoa, boy. Yeah, that's a good question, actually, because I think it depends on the quality of the movie. But that, I guess that's the reason I'm thinking about it is that in, increasingly it does take me out of the movie. Mm. I've watched... Uh, I've watched the Philadelphia story plenty of times. Yeah. It, but, you know, in the, in the flashback, Cary Grant grabs Catherine Hepburn by the face <laughs> and shoves her in the, in the house. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's like yeah. for laughs. Yeah. I mean, it's not supposed to, but like people for yucks. Like, yeah. Um, and, and he throws I, her out on the, y- on the yard with, uh, on the lawn with his golf clubs. Right. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like it, bothers me even not having seen it recently Mm -hmm. the thought of it bothers me more than it used to not that i ever i don't think there was ever a time that i didn't think (laughs) yeah (laughs) with that but it does stand out more uh hey your air conditioning just made a weird sound yeah here you keep talking uh some ghost shut my air conditioning vent oh my god that's what that is okay that's very strange uh but um, the uh, the other one, well, here's one that'll be on the list for mul- multiple reasons. Okay. Uh, which is Gone with the Wind. Of course. That's the first one I think of with uh, yeah. the character I, bl- well, a few characters. Well, yeah, I, like setting race aside for a second, because mm-hmm. we're on this strain, this, this strain of talking about the treatment of, of women. Uh, and I guess I haven't read the book. I guess it's more straightforward in the book that, mm-hmm. that Rhett rapes her. Because mm-hmm. she won't, they're married or whatever, and she won't go to bed with him, even yeah. though, like she won't consummate the marriage. Is that right? It's been a long time since I've seen it. It's, yeah, yeah, me too. Um, but I know I say he rapes her because that's what we, we consider that rape now. Right. But I think there was a time when the general consensus was that it was not possible for a husband to wait to rape his wife, that that was just sure part of marriage. And so that's, that I guess that's part of, would you have to put yourself in the, you have to put your mind in the context, not only of the 1930s, but of the 1860s. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, although I wonder how much in the 1930s people were saying, Oh, they shouldn't have, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's tough to know because how, you know, we think of ourselves as so sophisticated now and we're able to look at the context of the story and the context of the time in which the film was made. Maybe people at the time were yeah. thinking, well, well, we're not, we don't like this, but you know what? It takes place in 1860. And so they didn't have a problem with it because they're able to look at it in the context. Yeah, we, I don't know. It's hard to know, but I also wonder what, but then when it comes to race, that's when I think you can get a little, <laughs> it's a little yeah. dicier. Yeah, it definitely is. But I mean, I think it's a part of my, I guess, uh, white privilege that I didn't as a younger person seeing gone with the wind, I didn't think about the race issue at all. It was maybe in college that I finally like uh, it occurred to me like, Oh, these are horrible characters. Yeah. And I think, I think I was probably the same way. Uh, but I, but I honestly like I was willing to put it down as just like, Oh, it's an old movie and people acted, acted differently in general in an old movie. Yeah. You know? And so these are characters that are, you know, they're, basically slaves and they're and yeah. they're uneducated so it's like all right uneducated slave old movie got it you know right. and only when i watch it now do i realize like you can show uneducated you can show slave and you don't have to play it like that right you know and even though you know it's it's weird that even in the midst of all that 
I still consider it. I still consider the whole affair vaguely progressive because Hattie McDaniel won an Oscar for it. But of course, even within that, right, she wasn't allowed to like sit at the she same table in the balcony or yeah. something. Yeah, and so it's Ridiculous. just like, all right, <laughs> you got. I guess you got to look for the steps forward where you can, and the yeah. fact that they, fa- you know, that's thirty nine. It's fairly early in the history of Hollywood, and it wouldn't happen again for a while. Uh, a black person winning an Oscar, but the fact that she did. Good for them. Yeah. I'll take the win. And uh, and I believe I saw her speech. Did I see her speech? Or did I see her speaking about it? I don't remember. But either way, she was super eloquent. And and it makes you it makes you feel like, man, this woman is incredibly eloquent and and understanding and is an actress, you know? And for her to play this character you know, and I recognize that what's in it, sissy is the uh, there's okay. there's Mammy, right? Right. And then there's sissy. Hannah McDaniel, I believe, believe played Mammy, correct? Okay, yeah. And then okay. sissy is and sissy's, the queen. Uh, that I don't remember, okay. but but sissy is the one with I don't know nothing about. Like yeah, yeah. the more histrionic one, yeah. the one that that I tend to think. So it's not like she's playing that, but still, uh, yeah. I, I I'm curious to know like what Hattie McDaniel uh, thought about playing a character so far. Uh, one could say beneath her, or at least being required to play her in a way that was that was beneath her. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, it makes you know we were talking about or, or we were saying like how did people did people in the 1930s justify it or were they just okay with it right. it makes you wonder what things that are out today won't won't age well yeah, that I is, mean, it's always a good question to ask when you're uh, judging the past uh, what people will judge you about what was that movie from a few years ago that no one literally the only thing anything remembers about it is that Vince Vaughn in the ad said that uh, hybrid cars were gay do you remember that in the trailer <laughs> I don't remember what was that movie was it couples retreat no it wasn't couples retreat it was like him and Kevin James, I think, and a one-on-one writer, maybe. Oh, oh, not the secret, but no. Um, I think it's like it up, but it's the something. Right. Most movies are <laughs> the Gone with the Wind. Um, <laughs> oh shoot! Is that going to bug you? Should it's going it to it's going to bother the hell out of me. Uh, um, but I know the one you're talking about. I mean, that's only been a few uh, years, and even at the time, like yeah, <laughs> people reacted. And I, I, I saw this week by the time it's out by the time you're hearing this episode, but I just saw straight out of Compton last mm-hmm. night and it's fantastic. But I wonder like it already is just like skirting this line where it's not like on the one hand, it's not trying to paper over the fact that these guys, uh, treated, uh, treated objects like women, um, <laughs> treated women like objects, but it's also not, glorifying either it just sort of is like yep this is how it was and i wonder i like i'll be interested to see how people feel about the portrayal of women in straight out of compton because on the one hand it's probably kind of authentic on the other hand it is still kind of demeaning most of like it doesn't pass the bechdel test and about half the women are naked in the movie hot <laughs> um, uh, the film is called the dilemma by the, the dilemma. way yeah um yeah that's a tough thing to know like do you do you require a movie that's telling a story that is you know, I, I guess you could you could try to feature like a, a well developed female character in Straight Outta Compton, if that's the story you want to tell. But if somebody doesn't want to tell that story, if somebody wants to tell the story, uh, you know, of these characters yeah. and see the world as they undoubtedly did, yeah. Do you should we require them 
to show the other thing, just to show like, no, 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 see, women aren't objects. So you should be required socially to have a well-developed female character, which I think the film certainly wouldn't suffer from that. But, um, but in doing so you're adding length to the time, or if you don't want to do that, then you're subtracting from other things, which is uh, other elements of the story that you actually wanted to tell. And after a while, it just becomes pandering. Yeah, I, I will be interested to see what the reaction to Straight Outta Compton is, because I will be, yeah. uh, in terms of that stuff. As a movie, as a whole, it's very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess that's the, sort of the, that's sort of the question we're dealing with here. Yeah. Can movies be, uh, like, does it hurt the overall quality of a movie? And there are some where it's like, uh, this movie's so good, I kind of don't care. One that comes to mind is Strangers on a Train, okay. which the uh, the, you know... Ponzi rich guy is he's gay right I don't think they come out and say it but he's supposed to be gay and he's like you know untrustworthy and kind of villainous because of that in much the same way that Peter Lorre is oh sure in the Maltese Falcon yeah uh that like the idea that gay men are sort of like they're predatory and uh not respectable and untrustworthy in these early movies did you but I still think Traces on the Train and Maltese Falcon are yeah yeah and i think i think honestly that is how they're portrayed but in the case i'll say this in the case of maltese falcon you've got peter laurie already he's already exotic and weird and so you could put (laughs) any number of things down to that like right and and maybe at the time people like oh clearly this character is gay you know he's one of the one of them fruits or whatever uh his business card smelled like gardenias smell like gardenias yeah (laughs) yeah and then and then in the book they were much clearer about who joel cairo was um and that's the thing is like let me ask you this. Okay. Now we look at the gardenia smelling business card as, okay, that's a shorthand right. for this Sick character, fire. for yeah. this character is gay. Now. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking extemporaneously. So just bear with me. Okay. Um, could he like, there's nothing wrong with Joel Cairo being gay. Right. And there's nothing like, there's nothing wrong with him being kind of a, uh, I don't know what you'd Cairo. It's not like he's like, you know, light in the uh, light in the loafers or whatever. Um, he's, but he's, he, there's an exotic quality to him. Um, an unusual, uh, is he a bit of a dandy, a dandy. Let's, okay. That's there we go. Um, like he could be a, he could be like a dandy character and be gay. And that's still okay. Like there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Like if you're right if, on, if its, making, own, on it's, its own, on its own, part of a, like even as recently as um, Exodus, Gods and Kings, sure. Um, ben Mendelsohn's character, yeah. Like he's gay. He's. I mean, I guess gay probably wasn't a word they probably they not, didn't no. have like those sort of categories. Yeah. But he's clearly sexually attracted to Christian Bale's character mm-hmm. and is being kind of who wouldn't be? Uh, yeah, well, I guess you're right. <laughs> uh, but is like coming on being lascivious mm-hmm. toward him, and he's a bad guy, and it's like just such a part of a tradition that you're right. You can watch on a film by film basis and say, well, they're not actually saying that he's a villain because he's gay. Right. When it becomes part of the tapestry of, of cinema, it's a, it's an issue. And the Ben Mendelsohn, that's, that's interesting. Um, because in a way the, the issue is like, are we meant to condemn this character because he's hitting on hitting on Christian Bale? Are we meant to say that he's evil somehow because he's hitting on Christian Bale? Um, 
or maybe not even hitting on, but that he wants that he wants Christian Bale. Uh-huh. Um, or is it is it almost like <laughs> is it almost like hedonism bot? This character is so morally corrupt. Not that him hitting on Christian Bale is morally corrupt, but that like this guy who's clearly opposed to him is still seen as like, hmm, <laughs> I could do that. Like, it's just that it's that it, Christian Bale, he could be a man. He could be a woman. He's basically just a conquest that this character right. is attracted to no matter what. But I see like what I think bolsters my reading of it is the, I can't believe we're talking so much about Exodus. Gods and I know it's um, the most <laughs> anyone has talked about, including during the making. Of yeah. It. Um, but the introduction of Ben Mendelsohn's character where he's the Ben sent, he's the overseer of this essentially a construction site. Right. Again, not a term that, yeah. you, you know, none, they weren't the, a bunch of hard the, hats. He's the foreman. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he like is positioned above all these people who are doing a lot of manual labor and he's mm-hmm. laying about on couches, draped right. in things. So it gets into this idea, this sort of old fashioned idea of manliness. Sure. Of not only is he gay, but because he's, pampered and doesn't work with his hands he's a bit lazy that that's all part of the package that he's effeminate and that makes him right uh and again this is not even a real definition of femininity but he's stereotypically effeminate in a negative way and that adds to his villainy or is or is a manifestation of his villainy. and i definitely think that's a part of the character of xerxes from 300 like given given the tone of that film. Yeah. Clearly like the idea that the Spartans would ever be sexually involved with each other, which has more than a little historical precedence, right. um, that will push that to the side. That's not how men are. We'll show you how men are, uh, glistening in the sun. <laughs> um, uh, but like men are men and that, what, that's what makes them inherently good. And then this Xerxes guy who's, he's androgynous. He's, He's a little bit lascivious to use your term. Um, like, I think that one you can, you can draw, like you can point to that and say like, that is an instance where a character not being stereotypically manly is, see, right. is a flaw is, right. is a, is a moral flaw somehow. Right. Um, I'd, and, uh, I'd argue that 300 is kind of blur, like misunderstands what the stereotypes are because I think <laughs> the Spartans could be seen as being kind of stereotypically gay as well. Yeah. Right. But in a very specific, in the same way that, that, uh, that wonderful Simpsons episode, uh, where with John waters and they, they and, and Homer takes parts to the, the steel mill and it's just all, it's just all these big buff gay guys. Yeah. And it's like hot stuff coming through. Yeah. Uh, um, and then it's dedicated to the steel work- workers of America. Um, <laughs> uh, while we're on the subject of gay characters. Okay. And again, this is one that I think I haven't read the novel, but I think it's more up on the surface in the novel, mm-hmm. but uh Goldfinger, Okay. The, the character of pussy galore. Yeah. Is I think in the novel pretty much straight is a lesbian. Okay. Um, and I think it's probably uh, hinted at in, Goldfinger, just by virtue of her not immediately being sexually attracted to James Bond, she's a lesbian. But he, not only he, again, this is, uh, uh, you know, the the mores of the time. They Mm -hmm. probably didn't see this as 
rape, but he she's trying to leave and he keeps pulling her back and then throws her down on the hay. Like yeah. this is the beginning of a rape scene in any movie made in the last 20 years. Right. Like, uh, yeah. And, uh, I, I found it like, it's funny because it's so, it's so crazily offensive that it's funny that he rapes her, mm-hmm. which makes her not only straight, but also no longer a villain. <laughs> like, yeah, he, he's, he has purified her. David, he like, yeah, rapes the evil out of her. Oh boy. That's, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a rough, like that's yeah. a rough sentence to even hear. Yeah. Um, well, that's in the movie that everyone loves. And just, is not very good. I, it's so many people's favorite. It's Steven Spielberg's favorite John James Bond movie. Apparently it's so many people's favorite James Bond movie. And it's not as good as from Russia with love. And it's not as good as Thunderball from Russia from Russia with love is pretty great. Yeah. As far as your um, conneries go. Yeah. I put Fresh with Love and Thunderball over Goldfinger. I do like the character of Goldfinger a lot, played I by like, Gert Frobe. I like his performance, yeah. Yeah, and just, and like, even, you know, when people, they know that line, you know, do you expect me to talk? No, I expect you to die. You think it's going to, you have an idea in your head of how that line is going to be delivered. That it's going to be like, you know, you think it's going to be Dr. Evil, I expect right. you to, you know. But instead, it's it's said with like, bluster and and like a big smile and just like yeah. like celebratory like yeah. no i expect you to die it's just like very it's great it's yeah. a really great um counterintuitive performance um so i think that's one of the reasons i like goldfinger um and i like that song oh yeah see again thunderball i think Thunderball might be my favorite james bond movie because okay. there's also that tom jones song is also probably my favorite uh well it's tom james jones bond, yeah uh, theme um and so th- that's the thing is like so we look at a scene like that and by the way there's a scene did you ever see pale rider which is 1985 i believe oh i think i, I remember seeing it on ki- on tv when i was a kid but i don't really i probably haven't seen the whole like, yeah on tv version yeah there's a scene oh boy there's a scene where uh clint eastwood's character there's this look there's this woman and david she's just being sassy uh-huh. She just is giving this guy lip. Look, if you want to humble somebody, there's only one way I can think oh, of. Oh, brother. And that is, and, but of course, but of course she also wants it, you know, kind of, or at least she Wait, certainly does afterwards. Clint Eastwood is the perpetrator? Yeah. I thought he was a ghost in that movie. Uh, what am I thinking of? I, I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't think of him as a ghost in Pale Rider. Maybe, it, am I thinking of Pale Rider? It's got Michael Moriarty in it. I think that's Pale Rider. Anyway. Um, Is there a movie where it turns out Sixth Sense style Clint Eastwood was dead the whole time? Because I feel like that's Pale Rider. Space but- Cowboys. <laughs> that's the one. Um, you're thinking of Space Cowboys, David. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, in the Line of Fire. That's the one. That's the one. It turns out he, <laughs> President Kennedy has been alive the whole time. <laughs> and he's the one who got shot. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a, a Last Temptation style uh, <laughs> fantasy if I don't jump in front of this bullet in time. Um, but, uh, oh boy, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Um, so, y- so we think, now with Pale Rider or, or whatever that film is, and I think it's Pale Rider, um, that is very clearly like it is a rape and he is doing it very purposefully. And so, um, but in the case of something like, uh, Goldfinger, not that I want to defend it, but I want to at least examine this a little bit, which is you and I look at this as 
as, Oh, well obviously like this is, this is a prelude to a rape. Um, but from a shorthand perspective, is this simply like James Bond is forceful? He is, you know, he know what he, he knows what he wants. And, and in the end, like this woman actually probably wants it. Like it's don't get me wrong. It's still regressive. Uh, but in, in a, in a way that I think befits the entire series, uh, and just the view of mis- masculinity at the time. Yeah. I, but I mean, I but we don't have to be okay with that either. We don't have to be okay with it. And also, cause I've watched it within the last year okay. or so, maybe a little more than a year. It, that's not in her performance. She wants to get out of that barn. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Um, and you know what? Pale, Rider, way, Pale, Rider. Pale Rider, it takes place in a barn. Maybe they're referencing Golden uh, Goldfinger. Maybe. Um, so I looked it up. Apparently, it's a Blade Runner type situation. Where oh. It's like, oh, maybe he was a ghost the whole time. And much like Ridley Scott has said about Blade Runner, apparently Clint Eastwood has said, yeah, he's a ghost. And ghosts can't rape. So that seems OK, right? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's be, it's like all that. You know, we didn't used to think that husbands could rape their wives. Right. In. 20 years people are going to listen to you saying oh can you believe they didn't think ghosts could rape <laughs> oh, back in 2015 a ghost penis is still a penis you know yeah um, let's, uh, we let's can move talk on about something other than rape oh you know what actually i wanted to <laughs> oh, go back more about rape no no no. i okay. wanted to actually go back to um portrayals of um gay characters there's a movie it's so interesting have you ever seen advise and consent no Otto preminger okay who, you know, could be edgy and not to be and confused with consenting adults starring Kevin Spacey, also directed by Otto Preminger. <laughs> um, but uh, advising consent is a really, really interesting movie. It was made in the 60s. Um, it's got Henry Fonda, it's got Charles Lawton, and it's very much an ensemble piece about uh, politics. There is a character who I believe is a senator or maybe a congressman, I don't remember exactly, um, who is, he's married and I believe has children and he, but he is gay and he will like slip away and go to, you know, clubs and stuff Mm. like that. And he, he is standing in opposition to, you know, uh, a bill or something like that. And so people are looking to like get the dirt on him. And so they follow him and they discover this stuff about him. And, and they, the portrayal of the gay club and the gay and like those gay characters could be seen as stereotypical and maybe even a little bit, um, seedy, but that, that could also just be a function of the specific club he's going to. Um, and so you could look at that and just say, Oh, well that's, you know, that's a very old fashioned view of gays, but his story and his portrayal is very sympathetic. And we definitely see that this is a man who does not deserve the blackmailing that is coming his way Mm. and, and the heartbreak that's going to happen with his family and all of that. And for 1960s, boy, was I not expecting that at all. Um, and so again, even within by, they do show a certain degree of, of, um, kind of the stereotype, but they're also trying to do it in a very, in that auto preminger way, kind of a progressive. I think that's a very good lesson that sometimes we tend to think of the past as being the way it is in movies, but really that's just sort of a, 
homogenized and watered down and processed version of the past. Um, Under many, many limitations. Yeah. uh, And that's why if you get to like, obviously there weren't as many independent films being made in America, but I've talked about before, um, not the recent Vim Vendors film, but there's a film from the fifties called the salt of the earth. Mm -hmm. uh, That is fantastic. It's about, uh, I think Latino Mexican American, I think like mine workers who go on strike Mm -hmm. and then, um, because they're, these men are under threats of violence for picketing. Their wives do the picketing for them. Mm. Uh, it's fantastic. And it's a movie that never would have been made by the studios in 1953 or whenever that came out. Um, and it's really helpful to realize that this kind of thinking was not like, we didn't invent being progressive in like our lifetimes or in our parents' lifetimes. Like the there were more, there were more ways of thinking than are presented to us through the movies. And that's, and that's the thing is, you know, um, some of these movies that we might view as regressive by even like, let's go with Joe Cairo from uh, Maltese Falcon. Now, John Huston is just adapting the book, obviously. But at the same time, like, why even have... The, I, I don't think people viewed Joel Cairo with disdain. He's Peter Lorre, who is a, who is a, a beloved character actor. And they didn't view him as, like, the kind of character you hate or anything like that. Like, all of those characters are fun, and it's fun spending time with them. Um, but they they didn't have to make that character gay. They could have made him just gen, just just, you know... Va- just uh, vaguely Eastern European or something like that, and just had a, had the exotic qualities of him come through in that way. And you've got Peter Lorre there. You don't have to incorporate anything else to make the character interesting, but he chose to have it be this thing. And so, but in doing so, he also to make it clear that oh, that's what this character is. These people do exist. Um, he had to engage with the stereotype and what, what everyone understood what as the shorthand, cause he can't come out and say this character is gay as they do in the book. Um, and so, and then I guess that was what I'm thinking of with advice and consent is like, they had to sort of trade on the stereotype so that everybody knew what was being talked about, but right. then move forward beyond that. I don't know. It's, but, and with the, with the Joel Cairo character, maybe I'm being too generous just cause I love the movie so much. Um, but, uh, I don't know. It's, things are more are, are even more nuanced looking back than we think they are. We could just condemn the, we could condemn the fact of how something is presented, but we also, I think need to look at the spirit in which the thing is presented. Um, well, one could say the context. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to keep it like we do a certain topic at a time. Okay. Um, but, uh, by the way, everybody should see advise and consent. It's a really okay. good movie. Um, do you know something that is, uh, a mo- okay, here's a movie. You and I have talked before about comedy and about how the, f- the fact that like, <laughs> I, I feel like we haven't mentioned it before. <laughs> like in, there are a lot of arts, like a great painting is always going to be a great painting. But sure. Comedy, the standards change. Yeah. And so there are people not even that much older than us, um, 10, 15 years older than us mm-hmm. to whom Eddie Murphy raw is a seminal sure. stand-up comedy film. Sure. I find it almost unwatchable because so I've, so much of it is just unapologetically homophobic. Yeah. 
I mean, not as the guy in the skin tight red leather suit <laughs> makes but fun see, of them. Now you're trading in stereotypes. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like, if this, by his own, by his own standards, right. he probably should have been like, oh, wait a second. He should have had a moment. Like as he walked from the dressing room to the stage, did he never pass a mirror right. and just think, oh, I think I might be playing into my own stereotype here. But I, uh, that could just be a part of the time. Cause there are like people who didn't realize that Liberace was gay. That's true. That's it, true. Like, Maybe it's because of people like Liberace that we associate that sort of flamboyant outfit. Maybe, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, I don't have much more to say about Raw except that I've I've sat through it once and I can't like the stuff that's not about that is mm-hmm. he, yeah he's clearly working at the top of his game as a as just as a stand-up comedian as a as an on-stage performer he's mm-hmm. yeah knocking out of the park but uh, the content is uh, I can't stand it. So you never watched it? I've I I don't know if I've ever seen any. Eddie Murphy stand up. I'm sure well, I probably have here one? and there, but what's the other main delirious delirious. Yeah. I think yeah. I watched both of them. Like, yeah, I mean, I probably not back to back. So I was probably, I feel bad about the red leather suit. I, I was talking about like, <laughs> no, you're exactly right. not me thinking that, but I feel like it showed just a surprising, uh, lack of awareness on his own part. Well, that's, again, I think it's a cultural, it like, might because be. people say that about like, uh, how did we not know George Michael was gay? And he's wearing like those tiny little shorts when he was in Wham. Yeah. That's just, everybody. Yeah. yeah. That's what it was. At the yeah. time. It was, uh, uh everyone, why, everyone was gay. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Got no, it. That's why that's a hack joke. If I ever hear anyone say, how do we not know? So-and-so was, yeah, yeah it's, uh, anyway, David Spade had a stand up comedy special in the nineties where he was, and it was really, he had a, he was a good stand up when he like was still uh-huh. trying. Um, and he had a whole bit about how like all of his favorite bands were, were, were gay and he, and he had no idea. Uh-huh. And he was just, he's like, wham, I had no idea. And he, he goes through, it goes, he's like, he's like queen queen was giving you some hints, honestly. <laughs> and he, he goes, first off names queen <laughs> and just, and it was, it's, it's uh, I believe the standup special is called take the hit and I, you can find it on YouTube. It's pretty funny. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think if I have anything else about, gay characters on here. I think we should move back into race. Sure. Because there's a lot of it. Uh, there's a lot of race. Yeah. And a lot of it. Film is just dripping with race. Like even into the nineties and probably further than that, Disney has some real problems with with depictions of race. I mentioned the nineties because Aladdin is so, it's something that I didn't think about until it was pointed out to me, Mm. but like all the characters are middle Eastern, right? Yeah but they only have Middle Eastern accents when they're bad guys or they're scumbags. Yeah. Although Jafar is, uh, about as British as you can be. Okay. So there is that because as we all know, based on Disney, you don't get more evil than British. You just (laughs) cannot get more evil than that. But like, but like, but like the low lives. Yeah. Like the guy who sings the opening song, which is a great song that like always gets stuck in my head and is now stuck in my head. Yeah. Um, uh, is yeah. He's like a, terrible caricature yeah uh but then obviously going back further you've got the uh depiction of native native americans and peter pan well and and you've got the crows in dumbo whoa (laughs) and don't get me wrong like there's and i think some of the issue when it comes right when it comes right down to it i think with disney and I, i don't think i'm breaking new ground when i say that it's all about money um though they've put out some wonderful things. Don't get me wrong. Um, but like, you know, song of the South, I mean, everybody knows the song zippity doo dah, 
Um, they know the characters, Br'er Rabbit. Um, but it wasn't like one of their seminal right. works. You know, they don't have any, I was about to say they don't have any rides based on it, except they do. Yeah, they do. Um, it's a great ride. But they, it's just not a film that people, like, it made its cultural mark. And then the cultural mark just sort of st- outlasted the film. So it's like, okay, we can just brush this film under the rug. Peter Pan and Dumbo, those movies aren't going anywhere and they are bankable products, which means, all right, I guess we're just going to have to deal with this. Right. And, uh, because, cause like the day they sweep Peter Pan under the rug, that means anything Tinkerbell has to go to and they make a lot of money on Tinkerbell and fairy sure. stuff. Yeah. And, um, and so, and I, don't, I don't think they should sweep it under the rug. The no, thing. I don't think so either, but it's, it's interesting. I, I, for a long time I found myself wondering like, knowing what I know about song of the South and thinking like, how is Disney, how do they want to distance themselves from that? But the stuff in Peter Pan, like they don't even issue like an apology for or anything right. like that. And I think it's because like, yeah, cause it's one of them makes them a lot of money and yeah. will continue to make them a lot of money. Those crows and Dumbo though. Is that's, and that was also when I was a kid and I didn't get it. The crows were my favorite part of Dumbo. <laughs> sure. And that's, and that song is fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it's in watching it now. It's like wow, wow. It's <laughs> it's really obvious. Yeah. Um, and the, and like that's the thing. The characters are still seen positively. Um, you know, they're not viewed as they're not like bullies or anything like that. Um, they start out as slightly antagonistic, but then they are the ones like championing and encouraging Dumbo. Yeah. So it's like okay which is probably one of the reasons why we actually wind up liking them. But, um, as opposed to, for example, the Siamese cats, which I haven't seen that in forever. Oh boy. (laughs) Oh boy. Oh, if, if, uh, only if Mickey Rooney had played them, could they have been more (laughs) offensive? Uh, just, just the way that they're, they're, I mean, you know, Siamese cats. And so just the, the song that they're singing has an obvious Chinese quality to it. The way they're animated with, especially yes, their eyes, which I recognize cat eyes already, uh, can have a specific look to them, but like the animators clearly, they're not, they're not, uh, pulling any punches there. Um, and so, and so that whole song is just like, oh boy, that's rough. And then what makes the red man red? Uh huh. That is. That's been a long time to see that. That is there. tough sledding. Uh, but you know, I, you bring up Mickey Rooney. Actually, that'll get us into um, something else we want to talk about, which is characters who are not the race that they're playing. Which it, happens now. I mean, yeah. we just talked about Exodus. Uh, yeah, Exodus. Uh, although, well, I've I've said why that doesn't bother me as much. Because who gives a shit? No, because I this is going to, I don't want to sound insulting. I, it's based on the Bible. And I think, because I think of that as being a work of fiction to begin with, oh. not that it doesn't, they don't, but it, you know, uh, Ramsey's is a real person. So mm-hmm. that that's not a fictional character. So I, I should, that probably should have struck, struck me more than it did, but I don't, uh, yeah, I, I guess I don't think of it, um, that much, but, uh, the one that I do have written down here, and there are a couple more that I've thought of while we're doing this, um, is more than one character that Rob Schneider has played. Oh boy. <laughs> like in Waterboy, where he's, I guess he's Latino. I don't even know if it's like, yeah. Uh, and then when he's a Hawaiian in 51st dates. Yeah. And there's probably more that I'm not even, Oh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, uh, thinking of, 
And then he's like the terrible John Turturro. <laughs> like, like John Turturro right. has a look to him that like he can play Italian, he can play Jewish and he can, yeah. you know, um, and, but he all, I think, I feel like he always plays those characters with as much respect as possible. Right. Whereas Rob Schneider, not exactly. Yeah. But I wonder like, um, uh, is any, like, I, I'm sure there are, I've, I've never met anyone who is offended that John Turturro plays Jewish people when he's not. Right. But I'm sure that people are. And I wonder, cause that brought up, well, there's one I wanted to mention because it came up, the movie came up two weeks ago when we were talking with uh, Kristen about, um, uh, South of the Border Noir and mm-hmm. um, Criterion recently put out Ride the Pink Horse, mm-hmm. which takes place in Mexico. And almost all of the Mexican, all but one of the Mexican characters are played by actual Mexicans. Mm-hmm. But then the love interest is this woman who could not have more Caucasian features yeah. just with a tang. I mean, it's a black and white movie, just like dark and skin. But she's got like this little button nose. Like it's like yeah. she, it could not be. Uh, more obvious that this is not a Mexican person. Uh, well, which brings me to um, one of your favorite films of the last few years, which is Cloud Atlas. Um, with, you know, what, and I, again, I understand because the conceit of the film that you have right. to have these same actors, but, you know, you have not like, not merely white actors, but extremely white actors playing Asian characters. And all they did was like change their eyes. And I, I mean, I read a lot of the articles uh, written by people who found that offensive and just said like, and I think I'm, I'm not saying that this makes it not offensive, but I think this makes it a different conversation in that. I think they're trying to suggest something about, um, races melding in the future. Sure. Uh, So I think, I think I think that's the intention. So I think I give them points for having good intent sure. for that. Um, but yeah, it is still, uh, it's yeah, a little upsetting. Yeah. Uh, upsetting. Um, but uh, here's one that, you know, we're generally talking about white characters playing other races, mm-hmm. but what about, and I didn't see this movie, Gail Garcia Bernal playing okay. an Iranian American in Rosewater. Oh, it's supposed I'd... to be a great movie. But actually, I, heard, I did not hear great. I heard it was oh, really? supposed to be a good movie, okay. and that was it. Um, well, maybe it, I don't know what it is. I didn't see it. Yeah. But um, is that something? Uh, I think there. Uh, in fact, I know there are because I looked at it. There are Iranian, especially like Iranian actors who are yeah. like, "Hey, I could have done that. Why, you know?" Um, it does seem a little, yeah, a little odd. I, I mean, now I, I genuinely feel like I feel like you have noted actors of any number of races that could, that are readily available, you know, maybe 50, 60, 70 years ago, maybe you didn't necessarily have that for reasons that are not good, but I can at least understand why they felt like, okay, let's just get a, let's get a white guy, slather him in, in Anthony Quinn in this. (laughs) Yeah. The John Turturro of his day. (laughs) Um, and, uh, but now I really feel like there's, there's really no excuse. Now the fact that, uh, this is me just being devil's advocate because I don't agree with this, but John Stewart knows the guy that the, the character, the, the person that Gail Garcia Bernal is playing. He knows him. Okay. Yeah. Cause he interviewed on the show and that's part of the reason he ended up in, uh, ended up mm-hmm. arrested, um, uh, detained or whatever. Um, now if that guy's okay with it, does that mean John Stewart's off the hook? 
Because this one guy, because I feel like I think, no, that's not the case. But I wonder if uh, that's Jon Stewart, the way he's justifying it to himself. Maybe. And also you, you, you have to wonder, like, you know, if somebody was making a movie, if Jon Stewart was making a movie of your life and it was going to be all about how great you are. Um, and then he casts somebody yeah, who, yeah, I'll go now. yeah, a very good looking person. Yeah. Uh, and then says, okay, well, what do you think? You, you might not say no. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, mean, um, I know you're being kind of facetious, but there's a reason that it's different for me because it's a what's the, it's a false equivalency. Oh, I just meant uh, right. you could be anybody. Um, yeah, uh, it's because it's not like there's a like surfeit of white actors on screens. You know, we're not like there aren't white actors. There are white actors begging for roles because there are not enough actors. I do think human torch probably would have been better if played by a white guy. Look, I'm just saying, (laughs) I'm just saying that's the reason that film did not work for me. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. Did you uh, see the onion article about that? No, I didn't. It was a comic book, comic book fans insist that human torch should be played by an actor who was on fire. <laughs> yeah, it's um Yeah, I mean it's it's a tough thing. Let me ask you this. Okay, so as we talk about this cuz now we're getting very much into it's very easy to pass judgment on the past. I and because it's easy, I I naturally feel like okay, maybe I should be careful before I do that because again, we never know how people are going to look at us now. Um but we're also now we're talking about cloud Atlas. We're talking about, um, Rosewater. We're talking about movies now. And we're st- we're basically standing in judgment of choices they're making, uh, f- purely from a, I'll use the term. It's loaded, obviously, but like from a social justice standpoint and just thinking right. like, no, you should make the movie the way I think you should. Like maybe John Stewart saw that Gail Garcia Bernal was like the best, the best one he, to play that part in his opinion. And, obviously like we should give directors and, and actors and artists in general, like as much benefit of the doubt as possible. Like how much, like I'm starting to feel a little, a little twinge right now of like being overly judgmental of both the past and the present and just, you know, and just, uh, now don't get me wrong. I can make fun of breakfast at Tiffany's all day long uh-huh. cause that's horrible. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I it just, I get, I get nervous when we head down this path and say that like a film, like in, even talking about straight out of Compton, it's like, you know, you're, you're not sure how people are going to take it or how it will be viewed in retrospect, even though you still enjoyed it and it still accomplished its goals for right. you. Right. And so there's the, and this, this can happen whether it be somebody's politics or in my case, somebody's spiritual beliefs or whatever the case may be where you bring your own sense of morality and how things should be. And it, sometimes it comes into direct conflict with your artistic reaction to something Stay, straight out of Compton is the thing that you were telling me you really, really liked, yeah but you're also aware of this other thing that it, that it appears to be lacking. And those two things are butting heads and which one will win. And, should it and whichever one wins uh is that the one that should win you know i feel like this it's not a it's not a bad question to ask like we we require i think these days especially i think we require artists to be very sensitive so we're requiring things of them what do we require of the audience as far as cutting filmmakers slack 
no, I, I and I think it's a. I mean, it's going to be a case by case basis, and I also think that um, if it is a case where they think that it's better art to depict. You know, in the case of Australia, the company. There's another example I'm trying to think of um, that I'm that I'm falling falling flat on, but uh, like depicting misogyny or racism or homophobia mm-hmm. as opposed to being misogynistic or racist or homophobic. Yeah. I think. I mean, you could talk about like Wolf of Wall Street or something like that. Oh, or, or that's exactly uh, one of the ones that I was trying. That, yes, Wolf or like or the Social Network. I think is uh, another one that could. You know, yeah, true but, stories. Uh, but yeah, Wolf of Wall Street is the one that it came up a lot. Okay, um, the idea that sometimes if if we start crowing about like, oh, how are people going to take this or like this glorifies it, then we start to sound elitist as like as if we're like, well, I mean, we get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But they're not gonna. Yeah, and I, that's that's not something that we should engage in, and I definitely don't think that's something that artists should engage in. If right. they think it's the right choice and they can back it up, yeah, um, then they should do it. But they should also know that if they fall short, they're going to get hung out to dry for it, and yeah. maybe rightfully so. So it definitely is. Uh, uh, so if you're going to be racist, make a good movie. <laughs> I'm looking at you, D.W. Griffith. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Uh, okay. So what else? Uh, I feel like I had something else to say there, but um, let's talk. Sorry, about sorry to uh, derail you there. Well, we should start wrapping up soon. Okay. Anyway, uh, let's talk about a couple. Well, let, uh, here's one that I wrote down, but immediately, as soon, even as soon as I wrote it, I was like, no, this isn't because this people felt that Passion of the Christ was anti-Semitic well before it even came out actually um so that's not an example of what we're talking about that's not like oh through today's lens yeah yeah Uh, it's not like everyone just accepted it 100 everyone that ever saw it thought it was great and only now do we look at it and say oh geez that's a little rough um yeah yeah i don't think that yeah counts in this conversation um but any chance as I opposed to point out that the passion of the christ is an anti-semitic movie i will point it out and yeah. you're talking to i mean this is i'm a defender of mel gibson as a director yeah in most cases uh not in passion of the christ I, I really don't like that movie at all i feel like i mean i have a you know i have a christian podcast about movies that's been going for n- a number of years i've not yet talked about passion of the christ people have said they want me to i haven't seen it since i saw it uh, uh-huh. the first time. And, uh, I know I need to, re- I'll need to rewatch it if I'm going to talk about it. But surprisingly enough, I don't want to, Yeah, it's not for any number of reasons. It's not the most pleasant experience. Not that I only see things that are pleasant, but it's just so thoroughly punishing yeah. of everybody. Uh, and the, and that's the thing is what I think what we can look at, in hindsight about it is that we can be, we can be somewhat certain now mm-hmm. what was an idea. It's like, this seems a little anti-Semitic. Well, I think now we can go ahead and say that's confirmed. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, whether, whether I don't think it was conscious. I don't think he was being like, yeah, I'm really going to show those Jews. Like, I don't think he was doing that but it's clearly just something in his head uh, that just made this an okay thing. And then he could have deniability because it was, it certainly wasn't anything he was meaning to do and it was not his intention, 
But then knowing now what we know now, we can say like, well, maybe your intention, maybe it wasn't your conscience, conscious intention. Maybe it's something else. Mm -hmm. So I feel like confirmation is what we have in hindsight in that regard. Um, okay. But, uh, let's see, uh, passion. Oh yeah. As opposed to, and speaking of anti-Semitism, as opposed to a film I love. Okay. Which is David Lean's Oliver Twist. Oh yeah. With an actor I love and a character I love, but boy, oh boy, well, Fagan, the depiction of Fagan is pretty rough. Let me ask you this though. Okay. This is something I think of, um, I, I was thinking of this guy. I think it was, I th- <laughs> see, I'm going to be racist. going to get my, uh, black stand-up comedians mixed up. Uh-oh. I think it was Hannibal Burris who had okay. the joke that like, he said like when white people call him brother, he thinks it's just a stealth way of <laughs> using the N word. <laughs> um, okay. But I feel like that's the stereotype of black men calling each other brother mm-hmm. is so old that I think there are probably a lot of white people my age and younger who don't think of that. Uh, don't think of calling another person brother as a black thing. You know what I mean? Oh, certainly not. Especially like if you're like a hippie or something like, <laughs> right. hey, hey, brother. Yeah. You know, or like, you're Hulk Hogan, which uh, he turned it back into a racist <laughs> thing. Uh, He's taking it back. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I wonder if that, that sort of anti-Semitic caricature, mm-hmm. is that so old fashioned that if you showed it to a young person today, they wouldn't even make that connection? It's, uh, it's tough. I don't know. I feel like you, I feel like you have to be aware of the caricature. I think you have to see, I mean, okay, so I'm, I'm sorry to offend anybody. I'm literally just describing how Fagan looks. Yeah. He's got the hook nose. Mm -hmm. He's got the long, very Hasidic beard. Um, the way he says Oliver, Uh he he says like Oiva, which sounds like Oive. Uh Um, in a, in a film full of British accents, he sounds, he doesn't sound British. Right. He sounds like a stereotypical Jew. And so, um, so I, uh, it, it's, it's curious to know if that is, uh, if that is how, like if somebody is, if somebody is genuinely anti-Semitic now, like how do they think of Jews? Do they think of them like that? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But I mean, and that's the thing is like, uh, and fa- you know, and the, and the character is like, he's just like grubby and yeah. poor and just like, just scrounging and, and very, if you'll pardon me, rat like, I uh-huh. mean, it's rough. And I love, I love Alec Guinness and I love David lean. And while it's been widely assumed that the f- character of Fagan was meant to be Jewish, like, okay, that's fine. Uh-huh. Even if you want to go with that, you don't have to steer into it this much, <laughs> but maybe it's that thing. Maybe it's Joel Cairo. Maybe it's well for a character to be Jewish. Obviously he's going to have to be this, right? Right. Uh, so all we're doing is being true to the book and doing it in a way that people understand. Yeah. I, I haven't revisited that in a long time, but I, yeah. it definitely sticks with me. It, boy. Um, it, and you know what? That might, st- that might be, that's a great movie. And that aspect of it is what sticks with me the most. Right. Cause it's not like one scene. No, it's yeah. the whole movie. <laughs> um, let me ask. Okay. Well, we really do need to wrap up, but the, okay. uh, something I wanted to ask you about, uh, is movie Indiana Jones and the temple of doom. Okay. Because the Indian characters in that movie, every Indian person in that movie is depicted as being sort of a part of a backwards and violent cult. 
and I don't think the movie is or some or some nice villagers, but still, what, yeah. but okay, still, maybe I haven't watched it in a while. Yeah, still backwards. Still backwards, though, because I'm wondering. My feeling on Temple of Doom is, I, again, I haven't seen it in a long time. If even if the movie's not coming out and saying all Indians are like this, it's also not giving the audience any counter examples. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because I I love Temple of Doom, and that part does occasionally bother me but it doesn't it actually doesn't bother me that much partially <laughs> partially because they're using actual indian actors um <laughs> and right. so and also, i mean not that that makes it okay but that does go a long way for me in showing that like look we're just like we're we're hearkening back to probably a more racist time in right, film that's true, uh, yeah. we are doing that but at least we're not doing like white actors and you know in dark makeup or anything like that and uh, so for i think I know it sounds weird, but just having actors of that nationality, like for me goes not all the way, but it goes a long way to not necessarily legitimizing it, but making it more. Okay. Well, do you feel the same way? we got to wrap up here. Do you feel the same way about the character long duck dong from 16 candles? Absolutely. That is the <laughs> that most is sensitive. <laughs> oh, and, and well, and speaking of, um, Oh shoot. I mean, short round, Right in uh, Temple of Doom, and then that same actor whose name escapes me, and I, I feel bad about that, but he was also in Goonies and playing that same kind of character, yeah. you know, and just like, you know, I'm sure this character could probably speak perfectly good English, uh, <laughs> but I guess that's not funny, right? Um, and um, so it's, uh, and it's, you know what? It's rough because I I was in a uh, video recently with my friend uh, Bobo who does a character. He's Korean. Uh-huh. And he does a character called Vince and he does like a very stereotypical, it's the character originates with him and it's hilarious. Not necessarily because the, just because the character is dim and good natured. He's very, he's very uh, short roundish. Um, and the fact that Bobo is short is not helpful, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. And so like I was in that video of, of me playing myself and then he's this Vince character and, uh, just being energetic and fun and, and that sort of thing. And so I, and people said like, man, eh, that's a little bit racist, but part of me is just like, Hey, I didn't write it. <laughs> right, it, was yeah. the, it was this little Korean kid that, that wrote it. Yeah, I say kid, it, he's only a few years younger than me, but, um, but that could, you know, that doesn't necessarily, I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about your friend Bobo, but mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily excuse it because sure. You, yeah. You can see all, it, there are plenty of, uh, black actors who've been accused of, you know, yeah. selling out or, or, or whatever. And that's the thing, uh, but, but I'm very much of the opinion that like, it's not my place to say, to say that, if a if a uh, an actor of a specific nationality or or even you know like a, a a gay actor or whatever if they if they choose to play something in a stereotypical way and that's what they want to do and they're given the freedom to do so and they and that's how they do it and they think that's the most effective way to play that character i am not going to say uh sir that is making me <laughs> uncomfortable as a white person. Like I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to play that. So we'll leave it to Korean people to tell, exactly. to tell your friend Bobo that he's a self. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. You know what? I just thought of something. I'll go ahead. I'm going to start another, I want to wrap up. It's going to start a conversation here a little bit. And this is, we'll I'm, try to keep it to like five minutes. Okay. Uh, I guess a year or two ago, when the arcade fire put out their last album, they have a song called we exist. And they did a video for that song in which Andrew Garfield plays a transgender person. Yes. Okay. Now here we get to something that's a little stickier 
if we if we know nothing about Andrew Garfield, this is the first time we've ever seen him. Mm-hmm. We don't know that he's not uh, transgender. That he's not, you know we don't know right what his I guess or her uh, identity is. Sure, but there were people who objected. Why not hire a trans actor for for that role? How do we you know? That that's a really tough one, right? The reason that, if, honestly, the reason this doesn't start a conversation is because my answer is I don't know. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. it's just it's so, you know. I mean, oh, but it's tough because I, I I feel like yeah I, yeah and tra- the movie tough. Trans America also right and there's some yeah that's another like well here's the thing with the art my my thing with the Andrew Garfield thing is I think having a popular band like the Arcade Fire make a video about that mm-hmm. um, is furthering i think it's a good cause yeah and it got more eyes on it probably because it's spider-man sure you know and does that or spider-woman <laughs> well no in this case we know that it's Spider-Man. we don't know what peter parker uh, anyway uh, that's true uh so is is that a consideration should it be well i mean that's how far do you go with it do you only have gay actors play gay characters right because then are, well, are you going to tell gay actors they can't play straight characters right <laughs> because that has definitely caused yeah a problem before there was a, yeah there was a thing there was some idiot uh cultural commentator writer said that about uh one of the actors on glee you know i can't remember jonathan groff who i think was not a regular on glee okay but i think he's on looking now so he, and, and he's gay and he was playing a straight character. Playing a straight okay, character, right. and some guy wrote about how that shouldn't. He, saying he could tell, which I, I watched the show. I, <laughs> I had no idea until that article came out that Jonathan Groff was gay because I don't yeah. follow who's gay and who's not. Uh, it's when you get into that and the idea of like who should or shouldn't do that. Look, if I like if I was a if I was a, a trans you know performer, I would feel maybe I'd feel a little bit like, Hey, uh, assholes, you know, if you're trying to champion this thing, I'm right over here. As it turns out, I exist Oh, right over here. Um, but at the same time, like it's such a, it's such a dicey thing because in that instance, it it does, it certainly does get more eyes on the screen to have Spider-Man play that. But then at the same time, just, it's not so it's not blackface. You know what I mean? It's not like right. the person has to make such an, such a dramatic physical transformation. And didn't I, to this day, I still haven't seen Dallas Buyers Club, but didn't Jared Leto make some comments that got him uh, about oh. his character or something? I don't remember. Okay. All right. If you don't remember, then I'm not going to pursue it because yeah. I don't remember either, okay. but I remember, I, I seem to recall he got into some kind of hot water because he made some, some comments that uh, people thought were insensitive. Um, yeah, it's tough. And, and I, and it never hurts to ask these questions, but at the same time, I, I feel like I feel like it's it's always good to ask these questions, but also with a fair amount of grace for the actors and the and the and the artists and the directors, because just like first off, the rules of society are always changing, and what is acceptable, you know, in the dilemma that joke about something being gay, perfectly acceptable at the time. Well. Actually, the, yeah, no. Not, to, the pe- to the people who wrote it clearly thought it was sure. Sure, that, that's that's an example of being on the cusp. Obviously, it was right on not that. Okay, yeah. anymore. So let's say let's say if it was like like uh, ten or fifteen years ago, and someone a, a, a laugh is 
is pursued uh, by saying that something is gay, right? Um, and with with a complete expectation that it will be co- that people will that you'll get that laugh. Yeah. Um, you know, now we view that and we hear that and we shudder a little bit. And how much do we get mad at those people for playing into what is uh, a pretty decent cultural expectation that you're going to get a laugh as a function of that. And in that same way now, like, uh, I don't know who, who, do you know who directed that video? Uh, I don't, I could look it up. That, uh, that'd be interesting. I, 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 cause I know that, you know, sometimes it might be somebody who I've never heard of, but could also be somebody that, whose name I know. But, um, but yeah, like I feel like you got, you never know what somebody could be offended at tomorrow. And I feel like that shouldn't necessarily dictate what you, what you as an artist do today. Now, obviously there are the things we are offended about now and, uh, you shouldn't necessarily go courting that or, 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 uh, or pushing that to the side. But at the same time, I don't know. It's, uh, when we get into this and the idea of being on, uh, I'll use the term being on the right side of history. Like when it comes to art, Oh, it's, it gets dicey and it yep. gets, as you said, sticky. Um, uh, directed by a guy named David Wilson, David Wilson, a lot of music. obviously a fake name yeah. <laughs> because who would ever be named David Wilson? Um, Though that is officially the name of the character of Terrence stamp in the limey. Okay. Um, a couple more I wanted to mention. One, I loved this movie when I was a kid. It's called The Toy. Oh. And it's a movie in which a rich man buys his young, a rich white man buys his young white son a black man as a toy. Yes. <laughs> which, given the, the, you know, the character arcs and stuff like that, I feel like maybe, oh, maybe there's this social commentary there. Okay. Um, so I'm willing to... Because eventually yeah. the boy learns that black men aren't toys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And this film, this film was made uh, like 1936, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then can't, I, I, I didn't mention it because I feel like we were piling on the whole rape thing for, and that's a tough subject, but I couldn't not mention revenge of the nerds, which has a scene that would not have been thought of as rape at the time, but is definitely rape now in which he, by wearing a costume, pretends to be a woman's boyfriend and has sex with her in the costume. Oh boy. Really? Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen revenge of the nerds. Oh, you don't need to. It's not good. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, that's, and it's, and what's more is not only is it not seen as rape. He's like, it's like a heroic, like it's like a victory for him. <laughs> is it a nerd having sex with a jock's girlfriend? Yes. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty rough. Yeah. Um, and then this one's a little bit more, innocent in the movie, unless you think of it as a real thing, but it's a musical, Mm -hmm. uh, seven brides for seven brothers. It's really like there's one bride for one brother and the rest of them are like, Hey, we want brides too. Let's go down the mountain to the town and kidnap six women. And then on our way back up intentionally cause an avalanche. So no one can come up here and save them. (laughs) And we're just going to live up here in the mountains with these women that we kidnapped. And then they fall in love. And it's me. I loved when I was a kid. I it's could, so much fun. I am not 
aware of the story of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, but that is that avalanche thing is it's just like do they destroy the town? I think it's just like to block the path. Okay, okay. So the people from the town can't get up to where they're keeping these six yeah. women they kidnapped. Yeah, I think you can definitely uh use that in court. <laughs> like I think nothing says premeditated like blocking the path with an avalanche. Right. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. Well this was a fun episode. Yeah, um, I, I you know, and, and I'm sure that I'm sure there are listeners who disagree with us on some of this stuff. Yeah, um, or listeners who probably have examples we didn't think of. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Looking forward to hearing some of those. Um, you can put comments on those on the website, which is battleshippretension.com. That's also where you find all of our movie <laughs> reviews. I think this week, um, well, I was just at, uh, I reviewed some stuff for the Sundance Next Fest uh, last week. So I reviewed Cop Car, which you talked about, Mistress America, which you talked about, and then uh, Finders Keepers, which is fantastic. You'll, you're you going to love it. Okay. And uh, Entertainment, which I think is amazing, but uh, a lot of walkouts. In that really? Yeah, oh, not, boy. <laughs> and I don't really blame them. It is not a pleasant movie. Should I, I see think, the comedy before I see it? Uh, so I have a better idea of what I'm yeah, walking I mean, into? They're, they're almost different sides of the same coin. Whereas, like... Um, if the comedy is almost like about a character who is not from our reality okay. existing in our reality. Right, yeah, yeah, the Bill Murray is. type from um, the 80s. Yeah, and this is like the opposite. It's like there's nothing remarkable about Greg Turkington's character. He's like the most unremarkable person, mm-hmm. except he's in this hellish version of Kern County, <laughs> and he's trapped there. Kern uh, County. Yeah. I know where that oh, is. I know you do. Oh boy. Um, when you say hellish version of Kern County, you mean Kern County, right? Like, which <laughs> yeah, is I already so. a hellish version of reality. Uh, I guess so. And, uh, and it just gets weirder and more hellish as it goes on. Well, obviously I need and, to see it now. Cause oh, I, I would love for you. I love, I can't wait to get your reaction, but people, there are now that there were there were walkouts, I think of the people that I, I went with my wife and then we met up with a couple of other friends who like, we didn't know where they are. We ended up getting drinks afterwards. I was the only one who liked it. Um, it is a trying movie. I think oh, it's fantastic, oh but it is, yeah. Entertainment is, uh, yeah. Gird yourself before you see that. It's the same director, right? Yeah. Rick Alverson. Yeah. Is he trying to like really fuck with people with those titles? I have to <laughs> yeah, assume I, I so, think right? That is. Okay. Yeah. That's gotta be intentional. Um, so those are the, my next fest reviews are up. And then, uh, also by the time you're hearing this, my straight out of the Compton review will be up. It's not up now. Um, and that's at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretension.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. And you have another, podca- another podcast that's called uh, More Than One Lesson. That's true. And uh, this week we have... Uh, we do a very long episode with guest Vance Sanders, who is a, a well-known Los Angeles comedian. Um, and I do want to say, uh, we made the announcement. I put it in the feed of Battleship Pretension that, uh, I will be starting up a third podcast, which will be a part of the Battleship Pretension fleet. Uh, it is called worth playing for, and it is finally at long last me talking about survivor in a podcast yeah. form. And my co-host will be my wife, Jen, which is weird. Oh, it's very fun. strange, but, uh, that, uh, uh, episodes of that will start posting in September. Um, yeah, I'm considering starting a podcast in September too. Oh boy. Um, but I don't know that I actually have the, uh, equipment to do it at home anymore. Oh, indeed. That old, uh, the, um, the, the little board that I used to do to record previously on mm-hmm. only ha- now has one working mic port. So it would oh. have to be, if, it, if my wife and I did a podcast, we'd have to be handing the mic back and forth to each other. Um, and that's no way to do a podcast. That is no, no, that's terrible. <laughs> um, 
So uh, I don't know if there's another podcast coming, but I do another podcast. It's called Hey, Watch This. Um, it's about television, and I'm not on it this week because I'm out of town. Oh, so, indeed. I yes. don't know. Um, I think Paul said what he's talking about, but oh, I know Paul uh, is having Gina Epolito on, and I know they're talking about America's Next Top Model, and I don't remember what else. Um, but that should be exciting. So go over to Hey, Watch This, and that, you can find that actually at BattleshipPretension.com. Uh, did I say that uh, my Twitter is Davy Pretension at Davy Pretension? And uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 